everybody. The Con Artist here. We're going to talk about everything we watched in the summer core. Summer's over, guys. I'm so sad. But that's okay. Fall is fun and full of pumpkin pie spice latte. So we've got all four of us here to uh, get this cast rolling. There's me, Sue, Scott. Hey there. Dan. Hello. And Brendan. Hello. So whole gang's here. Talk all about summer. All right, so we're going to start off with something real popular. Dan, let's go into Vinland Saga. This is this is a remake of something really old, isn't it? Uh, actually, no. As far as I can tell, it's based off of a 2005 manga, though I think there may be stuff further back down the line. Um, I didn't really look into the background of it very much other than a cursory glance. But uh, it is actually inspired heavily by actual history. So if you're talking about that, Mm. it does go quite a ways. Um, It's a historical action drama centered around this young Viking's quest for revenge after his father is killed by pirates. And it follows this kid, Thorfinn, as he grows into this merciless killer on the battlefields of 11th century England. Dan, you, you have a really impressive history background. Are Vikings ever questing for anything but revenge? Mm, revenge is a big thing, but more often than not, it's plunder. And that is really a big... Gotta get the loot. Oh yeah, the loot is a big focus for pretty much everyone who isn't Thorfinn. Uh, or Thorfinn, however you want to pronounce it. Um, but yeah, this takes place during the uh, invasion of England uh, as part of the Danish uh, occupation of the British Isles. Uh, basically, just before, you know, Battle of Hastings, 1066, the date in early medieval history that everyone remembers, there was a huge Viking assault on all of, basically all of uh, southern Britain. And the Danes and their allies from Norway and Iceland and everywhere else all got together and decided to overthrow a weak king and put themselves in charge. And it's all about, like, that is the story that surrounds all of this. Uh, Many of the principal characters are based on real people. There's historical groups, like this group called the Vikings, who are, like, this kind of precursor to knightly orders. Uh, The character designs are all really top-notch. Everyone's recognizable. Even the people who are supposed to be very uniform, like those Vikings I mentioned, uh, are probably the most, like, the closest thing to, like, a regular military force rather than kind of a ragtag group of pirates and mercenaries, which is what most Vikings were. Uh, they still have little bits of detail that kind of distinguish each of them, you know, slightly different helmets, slightly different cloaks, those kinds of things that just sort of give it a greater sense of authenticity. And so from a visual, like, production standpoint, it's top-notch. It's really good. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah, lots of good details. Like, everyone's carrying around a lot of items. You know, occasionally someone will be sitting there, and you'll know you'll get to admire the detail on their drinking horn or whatever. And... It's just a, there's, again, lots of little things like that that sort of help sell that this is a, everything feels more tactile and more real. Um, now, isn't it, it's done by Wit Studios, yeah? And isn't that mm-hmm. the same guys who did Magus Bride? Magus' uh, Bride? Did they make, do Magus Bride? I don't remember, I don't think they did, but they did, um, no. they, 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 they their big thing, their big break was Attack on Titan. They also did Cabinary, the Iron Fortress, which I really did not like. Uh, I've been kind of up and down with them, and this show demonstrates both some of their strengths and some of their weaknesses, I think, but I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, still on the pro side, if you're in it for like medieval politics, lots of backstabbing, highlighting Viking battle tactics, it's a fictionalized account of history, but it's very cool to see. They do a lot to make it feel you know, fairly solid and believable, for the most part. 
most everyone's playing a very smart game. The Vikings aren't just this monolith culture. They're a varied group of people that includes, you know, professional warriors, mercenaries, pirates, traders, all sorts of different people uh, who are willing to sort of change and adapt with the times. And it also shows that their raiding and pillaging is used to support their families back home. So there's layers to them, even though a lot of them are portrayed as outright villains. Um, I gotta say, though, I really wasn't feeling the main character, Torfin. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> that's like... Yeah, I was like, oh no, Dan, all you've said is wonderful things. What then the main character, uh-oh. Right. And he is not a bad character. He's simply kind of flat. He's the least interesting aspect of the show, really. You know, and this is, again, sort of where the Wit Studios thing comes in. He's a troubled young man who likes jumping around a lot and has a thirst for revenge. Like, he is most of their main protagonists in their action series so far. Did I hear you say Aaron Yeager, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, that's basically Aaron Yeager. Oh, yeah, basically, basically the same kind of formula. Now, the good news is, however, that there's a lot of other interesting characters you can latch on to if you don't really care for him. Uh, Askeladd is the Viking mercenary that sort of takes Torfin in and uses him in a scout and an assassin. He's the reason that Torfin is even part of this whole invasion. And he's really cool. Lots of interesting history there. He's obviously very cunning and clever, knows how to manipulate people. Um, and he's, you know, he's very charismatic in spite of being a, you know, genuinely awful person. Uh, though I gotta say, the person I'm most interested in is uh, Torfin's sister, Ilva, who shows up very briefly after the death of their father. Um, but she's, like, taking care of the village. She's, like, you know, sort of stepping into the leadership role after her father after her father is gone. And it's just weird that we never hear from her again after, I think it's, like, episode four or five. Oh. So I'm wondering if she's going to come back later, because the show is continuing. Um yeah, with, with a manga running from 2005, you've got plenty of material. Oh, yeah, certainly. Now, is it done, Dan? Or do you see a finale the show? eventually? Or the manga? I uh, don't know offhand. Um, want to say it's done, but I could be mistaken on that one. Um, but yeah, overall, decent show. Looks pretty good uh, for the most part. Uh, characters are sort of a mixed bag, but you can almost certainly find someone that you're interested in. Uh, I will say, though, there are some things that bug me, again, that come down to sort of like how Wit Studio is doing this, and maybe this also is drawn from the original manga, so I could be, again, I could be uh, off on my assessment of who's you know responsible for it, but most of these characters, like even Askeladd, you know, he's a very skilled fighter and a very, you know, a smart, a smart guy, good tactician, good strategist, uh, comes up with great schemes, all that kind of stuff, but he's not superhuman. Most of the people are fairly normal people you know, good warriors and all, but otherwise grounded. However, you've got people like Thorfinn, like Thorfinn's father and this other dude, this giant of a man uh, named Thorkel, who can toss entire trees around and jump around like old school Superman, you know, high buildings in a single bound type stuff. It's like everyone agreed to play a level one fighter in D&D, &D, <laughs> but then you got a bunch of level 20s rolling around making everyone else look bad, and it's really incongruous with the historical setting. But... Yeah, they just couldn't resist throwing superpowered shenanigans in there. Okay. They really couldn't. And like, okay, cool. You want to show that these guys are a big step above everyone else. That's fine. You know, it's not, it's, you know, Viking mythology and legends are full of, you know, guys who can do ridiculous things, but you're setting this in a historical time period. And so it's sort of just kind of, there's no magic or anything else in the show. So they just, it just really feels out of place. 
Hmm. Again, not none of this is a deal breaker. I'm going to keep watching it. I'm really enjoying it overall uh, in sort of a meta sense. Um, I just hope the main character becomes more interesting as, you know, we encounter new situations and people in his whole revenge thing hopefully get sorted out. Hmm. All right. So sounds like worth watching, though. Yeah, fascinating. Definitely a recommendation. Very good. Uh, so I'll pick it up from there with uh, Dr. Stone. Uh, so this is a show going on now, which is continuing into the following season, so it's not over yet. And given that it's sort of a, a shonen show, it may go on longer than that. I'm actually not sure of its total runtime. Uh, I would say despite its flaws, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, the primary flaw is that it is, in fact, intensely shonen, and normally I'm out. Uh, for shonen shows look uh, at that hair scott look at that there's so much hair that, uh, ugh. the primary problem i think is that the main villain of the show is ridiculous like the premise of the show is about trying to rebuild civilization from nothing uh using real science and they're doing a pretty good job of that and then this guy quote the world's strongest high schooler end quote shows up punches a lion into a tree and kills it instantly like it's just a, do you know what show this is, buddy? Like, I feel like you're in the wrong one. <laughs> uh, like, I know we need something to challenge how Senku is using science to be amazing and get everything going, but, like, it almost made me drop the show. I thought we were going to drop science entirely in favor of, like, nonstop shonen shenanigans. But thankfully, that didn't happen. Like, he established himself as the villain, and he's sort of in the background now. You know, with a character that's doing that much science in the foreground, you would think they would need, like, a a Moriarty to his Sherlock, you know what I mean? Like an equally intelligent scientific mind, not like a lion punching dude from DBZ or whatever. I suppose they're trying for a contrast. Yeah. The contrast is like, cause like the other guy wants to basically live in like live without technology in a primordial state that is sort of more pure or whatever. There's no politicians and anything like that. Just people living their normal lives against progress and he has the strength to back that up and senku's like well i'm totally a wimp but if i have enough time in science like we can overcome this so that's kind of the the dichotomy there okay all right Hmm. Uh, now i do like the science aspect quite a bit i mean they did their homework everything they do even if it is a little you know times a little ridiculous and and overshown and it's plausible it's grounded in science and i even feel like i'm learning something uh, like, for example, I didn't know that there was an antibiotic that wasn't something like penicillin, where it comes from an organic source, but now I know about sulfa drugs. Thanks, Dr. Stone. <laughs> the more you know. The more you know. So overall, I would recommend this show, and I'm going to keep following it. That is shocking, because when you and I chatted, I think very early on, right, you were like, I don't know, Sue. I don't know. I think that's when Lion Puncher was there, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I can handle this guy being in this show. Like, But thankfully, he's in the background now. That's, that's good. That's certainly when I stepped out. Menacing from afar. That's where he is now. Very good. All right, how about nothing the boys talked about at all and Carol and Tuesday, guys. Carol and Tuesday. Mm. Oh, man, I've been playing catch-up. It's so good. Yes, so this is Carolyn Tuesday's second half. Um, it takes place after the girls come in second place in the Mars Brightest, aka like Mars's version of American Idol, um, and and their journey to continue to try and make it in the music world. Um, you know, the the second half is not as strong as the first half. I think the first half really had it had a lot of focus, and you know, it had a lot of good story beats that took us to Mars Brightest. 
Um, but regardless, there are still some phenomenal episodes in there. Uh, I love these girls. I love the world Aww. they've built. Like, I love Mars. It's It continues to be just so beautifully diverse. Um, I, I think everybody in the second half gets a, a mini arc. And this is where some of the problems come in, because people just get, like, one-off episodes to give them characterization when we probably needed oh. a little more interspersed throughout the show. Um, but, but everybody gets a mini arc and it, towards the end, it almost felt like a Ghibli movie. Like no person in this show is actually a horrible human being Hmm. and they're all just, you know, in music for their own reasons, doing things their own way. And in the end, like there's this big, big finale and you come to realize like everybody's really just a part of the the theme music like music unites all these people no matter how different they are and no matter what background they come from the second half i will say is also incredibly politically charged from a japanese perspective uh actually when when my husband and i went to japan in 2017 we were walking around tokyo and there was actually an anti-immigrant rally going on um and it this is big I'll just say this is very huge in the show because there's the concept that Earth still exists. It's a hot mess. And a lot of people immigrated from Earth to Mars to have a better life. And there's a big plot surrounding the idea of people immigrating to Mars, immigrants in Mars, and how music influences culture. So I will say the second half really, really nails that. It sounds like pretty big themes to cover. It is really big themes to cover. Um, I'm just going to hype the crap out of it. There's so many <laughs> African-American characters. It made me so happy. I was like, look at all these, look at all these non-stereotyped African-American characters. It's just, it's just fantastic. And, you know, I, I learned very late that this is actually um, Watanabe who made Cowboy Bebop directing this show so i think that's why it continues to have a fantastic just understanding of american music culture like every episode is named beautifully after a record and after a song on a record or a record itself um and and it, it all fits so perfectly he really has this deep understanding of american music the songs continue to be fun uh yeah like High, high recommendations for this show. I'm hyping it to absolutely everybody I meet. There are some hiccups towards the latter half, but hey man, this show is awesome and it's so different from anything you're going to watch. Please get on the Carol on Tuesday boat. Nice. All right. That's that's pretty strong right there. Uh, Let's see. what. I'm going to take things to a much more generic and less interesting with um, for my daughter, I'd even defeated Demon Lord. Uh, which was out this season and is concluded this season. Uh, Overall, I would say enjoyable, but forgettable. Uh, The basic plot is there's this generic fantasy hero who adopts a young, like, think six years old, demon girl and raises her as his daughter. Uh, The focus in the show is largely on the cute, as she is indeed adorable. Uh, The main character, Dale, fawns over her constantly, which is usually pretty funny, but can get to be too much at times. Uh, There is just a touch of, like, dark stuff in the world, Dale has to go out for his job and kill demons and demon lords in his work. Monsters are present. There's human superiority slash racism that comes into play occasionally. Uh, And there are slavers and other such. But 
Watina is always protected from these dangers by Dale and the friends she's met, and the message of the story seems to be the importance of building social bonds and how they can protect you. Um, I don't know that I felt this expressed quite the way the show does express it, and it does it pretty well. Uh, now, on the other hand, there's never really any conflict. It's basically a slice-of-life show with a little bit of drama and comedy thrown in, a little bit of adventure story, they go on a trip at one point. But there's nothing you can really get too heavily invested in. Uh, so I guess I'd recommend it if you just want something cute where there's just enough drama to make you worry, but you're never really worried that anything bad would actually happen. Hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's fine. That's how I put it. It's fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know what's not fine? Fire Force. Oh my gosh. Fire Force. Oh, what happened? So, what uh, happened? Fire Force or Enen Shobutai. Uh, I think myself, Scott, Brendan are all on this boat. Um, so, Dan, just sit back, relax, and make sure you have alcohol <laughs> because this is bad. <sighs> so, Dan, the first two episodes, guys. Two yeah? episodes. Two, two episodes, episodes were strong. Are so fantastic, Dan. They really are just from an artistic perspective and a emotional perspective yeah like there was heartfelt like emotional scenes in there this is when the characters are actually fighting the infernals which is basically like people can turn can light on fire randomly it's like a disease or something and these guys have to fight them all right i had heard that it starts out extremely strong yeah Yeah, it was totally combusting and it's it's really rough like just to highlight there's one sequence where like this this family has basically had this disease. So the mother has already gotten it. And then the father gets it. And there's a sequence where like they walk into his house and he's just sitting at the table on fire in like, he's just in agony and he's like staring at a picture of his wife and daughter. And you're like, Oh gosh, like it's really, really heartbreaking. So man, first two episodes, solid. Uh, then what the heck happens? (laughs) Episode three, which I would call a double hammer blow of failure. Ooh. That's beautifully played. And, you know, I was really already concerned. So just a quick background. Fire Force is written by the same guy who wrote Soul Eater. And I I watched all of Soul Eater a long time ago. And it has so many shonen problems. Like, you just want (laughs) to scream. And I was like, it's coming. I know it's coming. But I, I was so entranced by the first two. I just didn't I didn't understand how hard a dive the show was really going to take. Right. And then, like, they go the Shonen route, and suddenly, rather than fighting these Infernals, they're like, what if we just had all the fire brigades fight each other? So, but, like, that goes off the rails. And then number wait. two, you've got this character who's this, like, unlucky accidental pervert cat girl. Like, what uh... the heck? It's a real thing, guys. It's you're a saying, real thing. You're saying words. You're saying words you know will hurt me. I yeah. am, Dan. But don't worry. They've got a term for it. What was it, Sue? Lucky etchy. Lucky etchy. So. An actual term used in the show? Yes, Dan. An actual term used in the show. <sighs> People have to account oh. for it. When she walks in the room, they're like, uh-oh, Tamaki's lucky etchy. Should I catch her? What's happening? Like, her lucky etchy, for everyone in the audience... She'll be walking somewhere, she'll trip on nothing, and she will land such that she ends up with no pants, or, like, someone grabs her boobs. Like, she lands in a position where it's it's just totally perverted, and you're like, why is this even a trope? 
like Why imagine your classic thing? thing where like you know some character trips and falls onto the other character but like just amped up to 11 all the time mm-hmm. all day every day and it's an actual like character trait hoy hoy that, you know what that though? interrupts dramatic battles Yes. That's true. That happens in the yes. middle of like the most dramatic showdown in, in the show up to this point. Right yeah. in the middle of it. More than once. What? <laughs> I think. Scott, you, you <laughs> talked about this in like, I think it was your, your review of, uh, what was it, War on Geminar or whatever. It's like there are times when fan service gets in the way of the actual plot. This is one of them. This is one of them. Like it just happens. You're like, you can't, you really shouldn't be doing this. Like, they're in the middle of this confrontation where they're going to kill each other, and she's like, whoops, oh, there goes my coat, or whatever. And, like, they actually just pause for a while so we can go over and be like, stop doing that. <sighs> it is It is such an embarrassment. Like, it just, all of a sudden, fan service everywhere, and then, ugh. You know what, though? She's the she's the absolute worst, so we're masking Arthur, who's the other worst. But <laughs> He's almost not even worth mentioning. He is such a non-entity other than being terrible. Yeah, exactly. Dan, he just walks around going, I'm a knight, not just a knight, I'm king knight. Wait. <laughs> he's just he's just the rival for the main character. He is, and he's, he's so unimportant. Dumber than a bag of rocks. Him. Yeah, he's just stupid. He's probably like got some kind of thing going on, but I don't care. Nobody I was so cares. hoping that, at, like, at the end of episode nine or something, that when he's walking like, through he, the desert, yeah, he, yeah, like he had gotten lost earlier in the episode, and then it, like, it cuts to him at the end where he's yes, just in the wasteland outside too. the uh, civilization. I was like, man, I hope you like come back later as a better character. But then, like, at the beginning of the next one, he's just back. in the office. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he's, just, he's just there. Me again. too, Brendan. I was like, go away, go away, and just die in the desert, please. <laughs> then, like, what else was there? Uh, so there's. The first fire brigade, they decide to fight. Uh, they're led by this person, Princess Habana, who can, like, make... Lost, she's very powerful fire abilities and can make flowers made out of fire or whatever. Her story was, like, super weak. The resolution was weak to her story. And now, she's just going to spend the rest of the show hanging all over the main character. Uh, and like then the cat girl joined the force, and she's uh, all over the main character. And then, like, so the sister, like, the nun is always blushing at Like, when did this show turn into a harem anime? In episode five, that's when it did. Uh. Yeah, Hibana's story. And you know what's what's really crushing? You can pin down the point. Yeah, you can. Episode five is it just completely, like, it was bad. It takes a sharp turn after two, and then it's just like, like, it is, <laughs> it just wants to hit the ground so bad. And I'm right, like. It's, in fact, it's flying into the ground with a flame-powered foot, which happens yeah, a lot in the show. with a flame-powered foot, yeah. It's like. There better be fireworks in that thing, because when you hit that ground, like, it's over. I don't know what you're doing, but I don't know why you're aiming for the ground so hard. It's a mess. It really is just... Right. Like, the plot is, like, the plot is going in a Darling in the Franks, like, direction. I can sort of feel it starting yeah. to go that way. Yeah, it, it doesn't really know what it wants. It it blazes forward. Yeah, uh, nice. I know. I'm, we're just going to make these puns happen. It's blazing forward with absolutely no understanding of where it wants to go. It throws out, like, its mild, mild, like, religious angle. Like, early in the show, the fire brigade who goes to put out an infernal always has to have a nun with them who's, uh, like, she preaches the idea of what's known as lotum, which is this this religion they all follow. And... She she basically has to like pray for the soul of the person who dies as an infernal to I guess be able to reach heaven. And 
that was a really really cool concept like that gets thrown out completely it it it's there but no one cares about it yeah which is too bad because like they had this this big thing about like you know that the sister doesn't actually have any combat capability at all correct like so the prayer really is just a prayer so it was sort of an interesting thing to see and then yeah just just thrown away yeah, and then, like, everybody's fire abilities had something a little unique about them. Like, Tamaki turns into a cat girl, and lead character guy shoots the fire out of his feet, and Arthur, like, turns the fire into a plasma sword, And one basically. of them has a magical trombone that makes everything cold. See, like. that was actually <laughs> awesome. It was kind of neat, but it was also kind of cool. dumb. No, but that's a real science thing. All right. Thermal cooling, like acoustic thermal cooling is a real thing. I loved that part. Okay. The big trombone guy was actually kind of neat to me. But the, um, yeah, like Princess Nibana, like Scott was saying, makes these like amazing sakura trees at one point. She can light the whole ground on fire. And you're just like, none of this matters, does it? No, oh. no. And then I think what, what was really crushing is that its plot, like its pacing is atrocious. It just resolves, like, really emotional things at the snap of a finger. Like, one episode later, we're done with that. We put it in a box, and that box is labeled Maximum Harem Go. And you're like, what yeah. What happened? Like, did you, did you have, like, five chapters of manga and had to make up the rest of it as you went? Like, what happened here? I don't know. And it's too bad. Like, the show looks good. Like, the fire effects look really good. The fights are cool to watch. But everything else is just a disaster. Uh, it seems it like a, uh, an interesting setting and an interesting premise, like, in want of a slightly better writing team. Yeah, or just get the team from episodes one and two before they apparently just infernalized themselves and bring them back. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Episodes one and two writers. Latum to you. At oh, least so. the like actual church organization isn't evil, I think. So far. Oh, wow. So How far. Unique. I'm telling you, though, like, you gotta know that that stupid power plant is the reason that people infernalize. Like, it's it's Darling That's and Frank's all possible? over again. possible? I mean, I don't know. It's, it, I mean, it's related in some fashion, of course. That's my prediction. All right, we've actually taken quite a bit on this. We should, we should continue. Fire Force yeah. bad. Do not watch, guys. It's bad. Hmm. Just, just don't. Um, speaking of things that you may not want to watch, such a ringing endorsement. <laughs> it's a good start. I am ready. I don't know. Uh, I started up on wasteful days of high school girls. Uh, in the. Which which seems to be following in the footsteps of uh, a a sort of low lying trend that I think has been happening in anime for a while that I feel like has its genesis in um oh blast oh, like just high school girls I think was the English title of it like just Josh Kose which was a show about just girls being uh n- normal or slightly below average uh, people. <laughs> In, as a sort of a contrast to the cute girls doing cute things genre, which is all about like you know, watching uh, your moe pastoral or whatever it was, uh, to quote. <laughs> that is a that is a good phrase. Well, yeah, I, I really I, like I, that. I mean, I had to. I, I lifted that from uh, from one of Bamboo's uh, articles on A and N, where she credits it to her husband, I think. But like, there's there's this other like counter genre, which is just like girls being terrible people to each other. <laughs> oh. All right. Or, so, like, how does it differ from, say, Azumagadayo, right? Which has some of that. I feel. Um, I mean, it's got Tomo in it, but that, like, that's go. pretty. So if more characters were Tomo, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> I see Tomo. the pause. 
That doesn't sound so bad. Does it? It depends on the show. It depends on the show. Uh, as to like which characters are are being like, and and they're not all they're not always bad people, but they always tend to make bad decisions, which is where a lot of the humor of the show comes up. Like depending on which one you're watching. Okay. Um, this one they got a they got a powerful jerk to be sort of the core character. Like it kind oh. of revolves around sort of this group of three people who hang around each other, or at least one of them hangs around the other two. Uh, and like that, that one character is just the worst. Uh, <laughs> the show starts, and I kind of like this actually because it's a weird take on a, a f- something that I feel strongly about. Is like this, this the, the main character who I think her name is Tanaka uh, decides that as they are starting high school, everybody needs a nickname. So she's like, after, well, she spends a few minutes coming up with nicknames for like everybody in class. Brendan, I could see you like punching your laptop right there. <laughs> <laughs> but then like the other the other two characters that she hangs around with are like, all right, well, what's your nickname going to be? And then they spend like an even longer period of time, like just going into the terrible things that they could call this girl and like whether she'll allow them to keep doing it or not. And they end up settling on Baka, which is like by far the like, least offensive thing they, uh of of the list but it's just like congratulations like you've you've you tried to do this thing and now for the, the rest of the show everybody who's like been a part of it is just gonna call you idiot <laughs> comeuppance yeah sl- some a little bit of comeuppance there but uh th- this one revolt or this this show seems to rely a little bit on the cringe humor so i actually haven't uh. finished it yet i'm only about four episodes in gosh she is so terrible uh and a lot of the other characters have these you know they're, again, they're not bad people, but they have these weird flaws which cause them to do weird things. Uh, huh. And uh, speaking of Joe's Kose, uh, I remember that show having an ending credit sequence that was I felt was actually better than most of the show. For this, <laughs> for Wasteful Days of High School Girls, it's kind of reversed, where the opening credit sequence is the best part. So it's it's just a downhill slide every episode. Oh, there's nothing to look forward to. Right, there's nothing to look forward to. So it's in that sense, it was a little harder for me to keep going. Do you plan uh, to continue it, or are you going to drop it for good, do you think? Uh, it depends on how weak the next season is. I might just keep going. I'm told it get it ends on a decent note. Okay. I suppose. Episode four was rough, but... I may keep going just to see what happens. I gotcha. Interesting. Man, this is going to function great. Speaking of girls who are terrible. Speaking of girls who are terrible, like right in the middle of the season of anime, suddenly the Saga of Tanya the Evil movie dropped. Uh, Having seen the show, I was like, yeah, all right. Uh, So I went and watched it. And uh, interestingly for anime movies, it is a direct continuation of the show. Like the show ends on whatever plot point A and when it picks back up in the movie, it's been like three days. So you oh, cool. really have to have seen the show to get the movie, I guess. Uh, it also continues the weird trademark style of the show. Like, it's such a weird premise, which is this isekai salaryman in the body of a 15-year-old, like, girl mage fighting a magical World War II on the side of the Germans. But somehow, they make that premise work and make it compelling. So, like, they've got some people that know how to write over there. Uh, let's see. The sound design continues to be just really on point. Fight scenes really pop when things impact, like they do a good job. Uh, the movie emphasizes a conflict with an individual that can challenge Tanya one-on-one for pretty much the first time in the show's uh, run. And the fight between those two does not disappoint. Very intense. 
they don't neglect the larger wartime story, which gets a good part of the focus. The scope of their of whatever alternate World War II has expanded to the Russian front. Uh, and the dark comedy aspect of the show continues to be very strong. Uh, I was smiling a bit as I watched the, the Mage Battalion, who's attacking Moscow in like a feint, uh, just gleefully shooting this propaganda film in Red Square as they sing the German national anthem. And the many, many sort of follow-on effects that happen after that propaganda coup. Uh, so I guess if you liked the show and watched it, definitely see the movie. Uh, but make sure you watch the show first, I guess. All right, well, that's good. Fair enough. Yeah. What's on deck next? Um. Oh, back to High School Girls. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> high School Girls, World War II, High School Girls. It's like a, it's good. Um. Apparently, I was the only one of us who watched Oh, Maidens in Your Savage Season, which was the new Mario Kata show, which surprised me because like it was more of the assured quality that we come to expect after uh, Girls Going to Antarctica. Huh. I mean, I've heard, actually, this is one of the only shows that I had heard a lot about despite not seeing it, so there's definitely a lot of buzz about it. Oh. Well, that's good. It deserves it, I think. Um, let's see. How best to couch this? So this show is about a high school literature club, uh, which is made up of five girls, and basically the tale of them all like going through puberty sort of like they're and all of the hormonal drama that ensues uh over the course of of several episodes and events and huh. it uh it felt very real i guess uh which uh is to be expected because i think ms okada has several aspects of her autobiography reflected in this oh interesting wow hopefully not most of the creepier aspects <laughs> because there is an entire very large subplot about one of the girls who is sort of a, uh, an aspiring writer uh, who through a series of uh, causes and effects ends up attempting to basically like sexually harass her teacher. Hmm. Uh, I did read about that plot point. That seemed creepy, very creepy. And it's not even the only creepy one because one of the other ones is a, um, a girl who was sort of a child performer and like the uh the guy who like directed her troupe or whatever is a very creepy individual not mm. like not like necessarily to the point of needing to get arrested uh but like he's not far from it i suppose Ugh. it <laughs> yeah but uh a lot of the rest of the stuff was good um let's see one of the let's see the the leader of the club uh goes through a sort of um personal transition at the one third point of the show i want to say like she decides to like take her look in a different direction and that was reflected in the opening credits which i always like to see that's kind of nice uh like she has a, th a thing with a guy in her class which is super adorable uh I really liked the the rooftop scenes for that whole uh that whole interaction. And no, it's like the uh there's a lot of good drama, I guess. Nice. I it sounds like it means probably like if it was like Antarctica Girls, a perspective you don't often see in anime. Uh you know, written from someone else's perspective than the usual the usual team. Yeah. 
And I like I like seeing that sort of different perspective like occur. Always interesting to get a view for the other half, I guess. Yeah, nice. Cool. Yeah, and I think with those yeah. kinds of things, it's very, very important that a lot of the writing staff or the director is female or male, depending on which side you're trying to see. In this case, female. So yes. that's that's critical. So good job, Mario Kata. I'm glad you continue to not disappoint. Yeah, nice. Sweet. Speaking of which, anyone else didn't disappoint this season? Oh, yeah. Uh, Demon Girl Next Door did not disappoint. This is the show I looked forward to more than any other this season. I don't know about you guys, because I think a bunch of you watched it, right? That uh, That is also how I felt about it. It was the one I followed the most closely. I got pulled into it uh, later in the uh, later on when it was, you know, about halfway through, but I caught up really fast because, dang, this was an enjoyable show. Yeah, like the, I guess the rough premise, this uh, a demon girl awakens to her powers in modern day Japan and sets off to defeat the pesky magical girls that have cursed her family. But because of that curse, she's essentially totally helpless against the magical girls she does meet. And then they basically become frenemies in just the most charming, funny way. Like... Very, very fun show. Like the the girl, magic girl is kind of a fitness nut and starts dragging Yuko, who's the demon girl, along to strengthen her to the point she might one day be a challenge. Yuko's trying to defeat the magical girl, but she's hopelessly bad with coming up with ways to do it. And she doesn't really want anything actually bad to happen to Momo. So like, I don't know, it's just fun to watch. Much too nice for her own good. Yeah. And so, yeah, like they, they become friends in the most weird roundabout and, as you said, sort of adorable <laughs> way possible. Um, it can be a little disjointed at times because it's based off of a four-panel comic series, but it's light enough that that doesn't really matter. It's just sort of, you know, it kind of, there are some episodes with longer arcs. Others are more of just like kind of a collection of funny stuff that happens to them over the course of a day or two. But it's always really charming and you just... You just you want her to succeed so bad, even if that success isn't exactly what her ancestor, who's been talking to her this whole time and trying to like, you know, it's like, I need you to drain this girl's blood so you can break this curse. I don't think that's how this is going to turn out. Right. Like, yeah, like Lilith, the ancestor, like oh. she's also fairly inept. Uh, <laughs> like there's Yuko's mother who just, you know what? She's just the best mom, just doing the best she can for her daughters while suffering under a curse. That curse is mostly poverty. Poverty, yeah. Like her friends at school who are supportive, but also kind of mischievous. Like everyone's great. I like everyone in that show. I don't know. I was kind of, I was kind of iffy on uh, Mikan, the other magical girl that shows up at one point. Uh, she's fine. Yeah, she doesn't have as uh, as strong of a presence. No, she doesn't as, as she could. I was a tiny, tiny bit disappointed because at about the time that episode three happened, like I was interpreting everything as, oh my goodness, Momo's backstory is going to be that she had to kill someone and she's like, like that's her PTSD that uh, oh, geez. Is, is like she's carrying uh, in the beginning of the show. But it, it really seems like it's not going to go in that dark of a direction. Yeah, there's some sad stuff in there, but none of it's like, none of it's quite that tragic. Yeah. Uh, by contrast, like the comedy, which there's a lot in the show, it's mainly a comedy, is just spot on. My personal favorite has got to be Momo's like cat familiar, who's getting old and <laughs> really can't do his job anymore. But whenever he gets excited about something, he just lets out a, the time hath come, and then kind of goes back to whatever he was doing. <laughs> just so silly. Uh, uh, that's a good one. I love how there's all kinds of background detail in this show that you can miss if you're not paying very close attention. 
like remember the bird the uh, bird the bird like there after after mikon first shows up and like her curse like works its like thing on momo who eventually arrives on the scene and she's just got all this weird stuff that had happened to her in the interim and she's carrying this bird that was like given to her by a millionaire or something oh yeah <laughs> and then like in successive episodes you see like there's a bulletin board in school which is like free bird like come take this and then later <laughs> on in the show like the other classmate with the glasses has adopted that bird <laughs> that's awesome i, didn't I completely missed that oh awesome. man uh, that's uh, a good one so what else is there you know what else I, I really like like the show like despite you said you know it's based on a four coma uh it's not like stuck in a rut where everything's always the same or like an endless slice of life like characters develop and change over the course of the show and in ways that you know matter like they they change substantively so i thought that was a really nice thing and you know in a show that you'd expect to just be comedy of the of the week or whatever like nothing really changes Yes, definitely not a status quo yeah. kind of uh, thing. So, double thumbs up. Super recommended. Please make more of this show. Please. Sounds fantastic. It's very it good. Is. Awesome. Scott, you watch too many things. I do. So I'm just going to take it over again next with uh, Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon Season 2, which came out. Uh, as long-time listeners may remember... I liked the first season of the show quite a bit. A unique take on an RPG-inspired world, pretty likable characters, and its own mythos that's, you know, deep enough to get interested in. Season 2 is kind of a flop, for me anyway. And this is this is distinct from Sword Art Oratoria or whatever it was? This is distinct from, from, from Sword Oratoria, which is a side story featuring a different familia. Uh, it takes place in the same universe. Same, it actually takes place not only in the same universe, but in the same time frame. It's just based like... The main character of the regular show is kind of in love with the Slash, trying to catch up with the strongest woman warrior in the city. This is the story of that woman, basically. The the Oratorio is. Right. But this is back to him again. Uh, But anyway, like, we don't get to see any more of that. Like, he's not pursuing his objectives uh, that he was pursuing to try to get closer to her. He's not exploring the city's dungeon. Like the whole season is devoted to infighting between the various familias in the city, which is think of like a guild, but it's led by a god or goddess. Uh, Both the first and second arc are about some god taking interest in Belle, the main character, to some ludicrous degree and then getting thrashed by the heroes or their allies. And I just could not muster up the energy to care about these new villains or even the improving fortunes of Hestia Familia, which is Belle's familia. Uh, All the interesting motivations or stories from the first season are kind of relegated to background stuff. Uh, There's actually three arcs in this season. I mentioned two of them, but there's a third and none of them really has the time to breathe. Uh, Although honestly, I was relieved when the absolutely exhausting attack prostitutes are after bell storyline ended. Good grief. Wait, 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 go, what? (laughs) Rolling it back a bit. Um, one of the familias is led by Ishtar, goddess of love, and their thing is like, hey, we run the, the red district, right? All the all the brothels. Well, whatever. Like, she takes an interest in Bell because some other goddess has an interest in him and sends all of her Amazon women to kidnap him. Uh, but, like, all of them also just want to jump him. It was like... Of course God. they do. Oh, my of gosh. Of course they do. That's a harem of, like, colossal proportions. Well, I mean, they're not, they're more like antagonists than a harem. Oh, but, okay. All right. Oh, like, gosh. They, they play it off like, oh, no, if they capture him and take his chastity, like everything will be ruined. 
Wow. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's a bad arc. Um, so anyway, I don't recommend this show. And honestly, I don't know if I'd follow more of it in the future. Like the interesting parts seem like they were in season one. So maybe just go watch that again. <laughs> uh, for those interested or wanting to know, the the movie, a movie for this series came out this season also, and it is mediocre uh, and has no impact on the rest of the plot. So it's uh, it's there is the best thing I can say about it. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's not bad. Like this, like this show is worse than the movie, I would say, but it's nothing like, oh my goodness, what a great show. What a great movie. So, eh. Eh. That is just unfortunate. Yeah, that's too bad. You know what's not too bad <gasps> is a front runner for show of the season, Kanata no Astra. Oh, uh, man. Oh, man. Very solid. Whew, guys, Kanata no Astra, if you aren't on this boat, like, you should get on this boat that's lost in space, by the way. Get on this boat. This boat is lost in space. So, uh, yeah, this this show I was really surprised by, first of all. It's based off a manga that is finished, and I forget when it came out. It's not super old, but it's something that if you looked at the premise, you'd be like, this is never going to be made into an anime. Right. Um, yeah, these, these kids... Uh, are on a field trip they all end up getting sucked through a mysterious wormhole and ending up literally lost in space and they find a ship and then it's just about their journey back home and the plot surrounding you know who they are and everything about them getting lost in space i won't say anymore because watch this show man these characters are great like all of them are so they're diverse in a way that isn't the same as say carol and tuesday but there's a uniqueness to each of them that makes them their own person yeah i love the whole cast like there isn't a single one of them that i don't want to see succeed in their goals or that i don't feel for when they're troubled like this is one of the strongest ensemble casts i've seen in a long time and i think it's very self-aware about not giving into the trope so day one eight o'clock you meet lead character kanata and other lead character arias and arias like she doesn't properly speak japanese like she'll randomly use the wrong word in a sentence and you're like ah so you're the the pretty Dits the pretty, one. The pretty klutz, yeah. Yeah, whatever. the pretty klutz one. And she gets her, like, bag or wallet stolen or something. And then Kanata, like, leaps over a fountain to, like, slam the guy into the ground and gets her purse back. And you're like, aha, so you're a hot-headed hero, dude. Got it. Like, <laughs> man, these tropes get subverted real fast. I was like, I'm not going to like you, Arias. And, like, midway through the that. show, mm-hmm. she is, like, the smartest person on board that boat. Like, the what is that the electricity goes out and she's like grab the backup generator that's totally in this part of the ship connect it here so that we can get the electricity to move into the main room i was like who are you and what did you do with that dumb girl from what episode do you do the one girl yeah right she's great everyone's great it's it's so good you feel for them the mystery builds in a believable way and no one's an idiot like they don't That's drag true. things yeah. out. Like when they have to drop big plot points, boom, they just they just happen because these people are talking to one another and not just cuz they're stuck on a ship. Yeah, like and also it's like uh the show has like it just effortlessly moves between comedy, science fiction, adventure exploration stuff, surprisingly emotional drama, and as Sue's been saying there's even like a mystery in there. Like and it manages to make it all work. And I think part of it is like you said the manga's finished. Uh I did read it. It was very tightly plotted like it follows very closely and like it you know it ended like it it tells one story and that's it 
And that really makes a huge difference in how like well told this story is. Like there's no filler. Yeah, it's solid all the way through. Uh, highest recommendations for this show. Uh, this was the one that my husband and I were always like, is there a new episode out? My husband would be like, babe, is there a new Astra? I'm like, honey, it's been two days. Like, there can't be new Astra. <laughs> that comes out every week. And he's like, oh. So is there a new Astra? <laughs> <laughs> How about now? Uh, like, there's basically no fan service in the show. Uh, like, it looks really good. Like, I could recommend this to anyone. So... True that. So, yeah. yes, Astra, guys, make it happen. Everybody should watch make this. It happen. So, is it time for the <laughs> show of the season? Show of the season. Like, Symphogear XV. Get more ready girls for fight season evil. five. Song-powered techno armor. Like, what more could you really want from a show? <laughs> Nothing besides yo-yos and death sights with you, which you can have two in Symphogear. Guys, there's something for everyone. Come on down. <laughs> there's something for everyone. Scythes and guns. What more do you really want? And swords. Does the girl turn into the mono whale again? Yeah, oh, no, the mono whale doesn't happen. Brendan, she gets like helicopter head. Like two gigantic, <laughs> two gigantic wheels appear on her twin tails and they shoot buzz saws. <laughs> while she's like whipping the enemy with yo-yos brendan we got you but and then some like she throws out so many buzz wheels and then like her her friend there like fires out a bunch of size and then a rocket powered sword hits all of them and transforms them into like you know sword mech which goes and just explodes <laughs> like, it doesn't even make sense all this while is an attack. singing uh, almost singing like in the, another a new set of songs like some of them are really really good which is kind of the par for the course of Symphogear. gear like there's some really solid songs uh everything of course is over the top overpowered uh and the I'll, I'll give it i'll give the show this the animation is just light years better than the original like they, they clearly got a budget uh and it's been you know it's been looking better over time but it still looks quite good yeah, I mean, there's there's just everything you still expect out of Symphogear. Um, the plot is still as total nonsense as ever. Exactly. Turn your, turn your brain off and you'll be fine. Turn your brain off and you'll be fine. However, what was really shocking was they bring back a lot of the stuff that they actually talked about in seasons one through four. Like, we were tying things back. I don't know if, if people have yeah. watched my uh, video where I, I rail into Symphogear season one. Uh, and I'm like, they're just throwing words like out into the middle, like Alfwaken waveform and the curse of Bilal. <laughs> Guys, those things come back and they have like plot around them and they plot tie relevance. together. Yeah. You know, I I was just going to say Symphogear is a lot like uh, this real live action TV show called Once Upon a Time, wherein they just leave so many plot threads open that at any point in time they could pick one up and yank on it to make a new story thread. So I'm not, you know, claiming the show's got this incredible, like, lore. It knew what it was doing, but it left enough plot threads open that it closed it all, and I was not expecting that. I've heard this called world building through accretion. Accretion, exactly. Yeah, it's like, correct. At the end of the show, they actually said, like, hey, Symphogear is over. Like, it might be done. And that's probably why they tied up so many plot threads. Huh. And I do think what was cool was, like, it was starting to... I don't even know wane, but, like, at a certain point, the body acclimatizes to whatever environment it's in. <laughs> and I was acclimatized, guys. Like, I'm just watching, and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, like, 
their powers suddenly turn into a robot. Oh yeah, Subasa, make that sword even bigger. Just make it bigger. Make it burst into a million. So of course, like everything is so over the top that the the top cannot be topped. You know what I mean? Like we're so beyond where anything could be logically that I think it was really good of them to realize that and not just go for more because we were at a point where you're inundated and it needed to be done so they were you know props to them for realizing that also best girl Miku actually gets plot yeah Miku yes best girl Miku like she has real and compelling plot yeah at last she kind of got left behind in one of the seasons but she got her thing finally also i'm just gonna put this out there my new favorite ninja jutsu is car cloning oh my gosh yes car clone no jutsu so but, good <laughs> like instead of cloning yourself you just close a bunch of cars that yeah, no one Dana, knows who's point, in which one like the guy who can run on water if you remember that from my presentation yeah, yeah. he turns out oh, to be yeah. a ninja he he's in a car right and he's driving like either some of the girls or something very important and the enemy is after him and he's like oh is it time for my abilities <laughs> clone no jutsu his cars like clone themselves and all drive in separate directions and you're like why do you have the ability to do that why aren't we just throwing him at all of our problems they continue to cling to the fiction that only the sinfoga users can fight the noise even though at this point the noise is almost not even on screen. Yeah, who like, they cares probably about could that? Just, they probably just could go out there and have this guy punch them or whatever. Oh my gosh, good times. Anyway, it's the show of the season. The music is still rocking. <laughs> the opener. The music mm, is good. Like, Nana Mizuki, I hope you sing until you're 70. You're just a goddess. Um, yeah. Simple. I mean, if you're on this boat, you're on this boat. If you're not, like, well, then you're not a fan of Buzzsaw Twin Tails, and I'm sorry for you. But I'm sorry for you. I mean, it yeah, it's as nonsensical as it's it's as ever gonna get. Um, just let the pretty colors and sounds wash over you. Like. Exactly, it's a guilty pleasure. Just go go for the gold, I guess. Anyway, it's the show of the season, so forget what all the other guys said. This one, <laughs> like this one. <laughs> so. This one. Well, guys, I think that wraps up our summer. Uh, yes, Scott, it does. You watched too many things. Calm that I down. I did. I did. Don't worry, next season looks just terrible, so it'll probably be a lot shorter. That's good. That's good. Well, I uh, hope you had fun listening to us yak about all these shows, and I, Dan, I can tell you're going to go out and watch Fire Force, so you have fun with that. <laughs> uh, I might actually prefer being on fire. <laughs> then you could be an Infernal, Dan. It'll be great. Alright, guys, until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Have a good one. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.